All right, everybody, we are glad to see you tonight. Thank you for being here. Everybody stand with us all over the building. Let's talk about Jesus. Sing it like you mean it now, nice and strong. Here we go. Here we go. One, two, three. Let's talk about Jesus. The King of kings is he. The Lord of lords supreme. That's good. Throughout e the great I am. Sing it now. giving us the opportunity to be back in our in your house this evening we are excited about what you're going to do tonight bless the Iwana program our bible study time everything that happens this evening may your son be glorified in jesus name i pray amen amen last week i had three boys so let me have three young ladies tonight three young ladies quick 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 will you come home for me come on quickly thank you sweetheart let me have another come on sweetie number two can you come up here for number three thank you Hold that. i'm gonna get girls tonight buddy give me that Come here, and you got your Bible, you go. Good job, good job. Stand up there for me. Hold that Christian, hold that American flag up there, pretty girl, nice and high. Here we go. Ready? Salute, pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag. And that Christian flag, nice and high, let you hold it up there. Good job, ready? Pledge. I pledge allegiance to the... Hold that Bible up there, sweetheart. Ready? What's your name, darling? Elena, hold it up good. Ready? Pledge. I pledge allegiance. Good job. I'm going to let you go out quickly tonight because I need everybody back. Hold on. Not yet, big boy. Come back. Come back. Come back. Boy, you say the word. He's gone, ain't he? Te uh, teachers, if you could be back in here at quarter till eight tonight, please. All right. Cubbies, now you can have that. Wrong way, buddy. All right. You meet him on the other side. Sparks. <laughs> stand together tonight and grab your hymn book turn to hymn number 46 my savior first of all some of you may know it as i shall know him we'll sing the first second and last verse tonight hymn number 46 when my life work is ended and i cross the swelling tide when the bright and glorious morning i shall see 
I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and His smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, and redeem by His side I shall stand. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, by the print of the nails in His hand. Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view His blessed face, and the luster of His kindly sky. I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeem by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the print of the nails in his hand. All right, how many of this is, a, you, you, you've never heard this song before, raise your hand. You're telling a story, we just sung two verses. Look up in the left-hand corner. Who's it written by, folks? Fanny Crosby. Let's sing the last one. Go ahead, Brother Ken. Good. Through the gates to the city in a robe of spotless white, He will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad song of ages I shall mingle with delight, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeem by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the print of the nails in his hand. So you know I'm a big fan of hymns. You know I love the stories behind hymns. I'll tell you quickly how that song was written. And then, Brother Ken, we're going to do the last verse again. So grab your books back out, page 46, what we're looking at. Um, Fanny Crosby was uh, delivering an address. She was a very famous lady speaker all over the country. And she would often talk about her story about how she was rendered blind and how she was excited about seeing the Lord. The first thing she'd ever see was the Lord. And during one of the question and answer sessions, uh, someone said to her, Fanny, if the first thing you'll ever see is Jesus, how do you know that it will be him? And she said, I shall know him by the prince in his hands. Went home that evening and wrote this uh, poem. And uh, her uh, songwriter, a different one than what she normally used, Isaac Watts, set it to music. Let's do the last verse together again. Through the gates to the city in a robe of spotless white, he will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad song of ages, I shall mingle with delight, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, and redeem by His side I shall stand. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, by the of the nails in his hand.
Father, thank you for that reality tonight that we will know you when we see you because we'll see you face to face and we'll be reminded of the great redemption story that we are celebrating this weekend. Thank you so much for what this uh, week stands for, this holy week. Uh, Lord, we recognize we are celebrating once again uh, the crucifixion of your son and Lord, the resurrection on Sunday morning, celebrating the fact that he's alive and well, preparing us a home in heaven that we'll be with him one day. Lord, bless our Bible study time tonight. As we open up the word of God, I pray that you would illuminate it in such a way that it would equip us up for the day ahead. We'll thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, let's have a song of fellowship, Brother Ken. Amen. Page 183. We all know this and oh how I love Jesus. We'll do that first verse and course, then we'll fellowship. Page 183.
folks, a couple of quick things tonight. Uh, first of all, just a reminder about uh, bringing in your Jesus bag, 30 pieces of silver on uh, Sunday morning, going to our parking lot. We're going to update you on that tonight, or rather our sign, I should say, update you tonight on that and a few other things. Uh, so just keep that in mind, if you would. Service is 945 for Sunday school, 1045. No Sunday evening service. We always give you Sunday evening off. Uh, I know a lot of you are with family, and we certainly celebrate that. But just keep in mind, if you would, please. All right, turn in your Bibles tonight, First Corinthians. Uh, ushers, make your way down, please. First Corinthians chapter number 8. You be obedient unto the Lord with his tithes and your offerings, uh, and God will richly bless you for doing so. We're going to pray, and then we're going to get into the Word. So First Corinthians tonight, chapter number 8, is where we'll be looking. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity that you've provided for us to come together on a Wednesday night. And Lord, uh, we don't take lightly the fact that we can celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And God, I ask that you would just bless this offering this evening. May it be what you'd have it to be. Lord, Bless the gift, the giver. Lord, we'll thank you and we'll praise you. Bless our Bible study in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, ladies. The choir this coming Saturday, we're singing at Northside Baptist. Brother Upchurch have graciously agreed to drive the van if you want to ride out there. Uh, we'll meet at 6.30 here to go out there, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll take the books as we go, although we'll be singing songs you probably don't need your book with, but we'll have them out there for you. 1 Corinthians tonight, chapter number 8 is where we'll be looking. Uh, of all of the topics that we have covered thus far in 1 Corinthians, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians in our series that we've been looking at, I don't think any or at, or are as relevant or as important as what we are going to investigate this evening. Uh, I need to set the stage for you again just to remind you of the size and the influence of the city of Corinth. Although Rome was the uh, empire capital, if you will, the capital of the Roman Empire was, of course, Rome. There were major metropolitan areas throughout the Roman Empire. Think today, Washington, D.C. is, of course, our capital. It is by far not the largest city. Many, many larger cities, New York, Atlanta, Chicago, L.A., the list goes on and on, that are, are larger in size uh, and larger economically than our capital city. Corinth was kind of the New York City, if you will, of the Roman Empire. Major, major metropolitan center. Uh, 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 when you look at it geographically, you can see its seaport location made it a major economic uh, uh, factor, if you will. And because of that, things were happening in that church there that were so important for Paul to address. When we first started this, I talked to you about the fact that we know that though this is Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, we know that they had already written him a letter and that this was his response back. How do we know that? Well, flip back a chapter to chapter 7. 
Uh, flip back to chapter 7 for just a second. You note the first phrase there of verse number 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote me. And then he goes on to begin talking. So we know that Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that we have here is not their first correspondence. He is, of course, in Ephesus. Uh, he is writing back and forth. He's answering questions that have arisen, and he's addressing topics uh, that he has heard about that has come up in the Corinthian church. He says much the same thing when he starts out in chapter number 8. In fact, if you note the first clause, uh, it, it says, Now touching things offered unto idols, as if that was a question they had asked him, as if that was something that had come up. Of everything that we have talked about and probably will talk about, tonight's lesson, tonight's message, will be as relevant to us today as anything we will discuss. What we're going to talk about is the idea of Christian liberty. What that means, what it's about, and specifically how do we handle the gray areas that the Bible does not speak to specifically. Let me, let me explain. You understand that there are plenty of things in Scripture that are thou shalt nots. You understand there are plenty of things in Scripture that are thou shalts. We're not putting question marks there. I want to be very clear. We're not putting question marks there. What we're going to talk about tonight are the areas of Christian life on which there are some question marks. Areas of Christian life that the Scripture does not speak to directly. Let me explain. You understand, if you've been in church any length of time, that even within denominations, everyone's not in agreement. I mean, we know there are denominational differences, but even within denominations, there's not universal agreement. All independent fundamental Baptist churches are not the same. Let me let you in on a secret that you probably also know. Even within an independent Baptist church, everybody's not in agreement on everything. There are families and individuals who do not have the same identical beliefs on every single gray area. And so now the question that Paul is about to answer is how do we handle that? How do we handle these instances? And this is important, folks, because would you listen to me real carefully? Please hear what I'm about to say. Another denomination, another church, they're not our enemy. And we've done far too much in fundamental Baptist churches of making them our enemy. I sometimes think that our real enemy sits back and laughs and laughs and laughs at us because he realizes that he's gotten the attention off him and we've made someone else, another believer, if you will, our enemy. God forbid, Paul says. They're not our enemy. And interestingly... The way this is manifested in chapter number 8 has to do with something that seems completely foreign to us. Meat sacrificed to idols. Meat sacrificed to idols. I guarantee you that every single one of us in here would not give that a second thought. But let me put it in perspective for you. Have you ever walked into the grocery store and went back to the meat department. My wife and I used to do this all the time, frankly. Uh, especially when our kids were little and we were recycling dryer lint to make ends meet. Amen. Walked into the meat department. They are marking it down because it's about to go out of date and you buy up every yellow sticker you can find. 
Still do, amen. And put it in the freezer. Have you ever gone into the bread store and the bread's getting ready to go out of date and you think, I can save 50 cents on this, and so you grab it up. Well, let me put this in perspective for you. The Christian faith, when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, is still very, very young. Unlike our country where Christianity is still the dominant religion, although dying in popularity, regrettably, in the Corinthian church, or in the Corinthian city, I should say, it was by far the minority religion. It was also very much a hated faith. People uh, who were Christians and openly professed Christ uh, would be ridiculed. uh, They would be chastised. uh, They would be forbidden to buy and sell. uh, And so when believers, hear me, saw food that had been sacrificed to idols and was going to sit there because you know a wooden statue ain't going to eat it. They thought to themselves, somebody's marking down the meat in the meat department. We're going to grab it and take it to the house and feed the babies. There were others, most of whom were Jews and had converted to Christianity, who stepped back and said, wait a minute, that's a sin. You can't touch that, touching anything that had been sacrificed to idols is a sin. And by the way, you read back in the Judaic law, it was. So who's right? Both of them are. Both of them are. In the Old Testament law, you couldn't touch that food. But now they're in the New Testament age of grace. And many of them who are running after it didn't grow up Jews. They didn't know the law. They didn't practice the law. They didn't have to know the law. And so a schism begins to develop within the early church. In fact, it got so bad that there were some believers who would say, you got to be a Jew before you can become a Christian. They called themselves Judaizers. Peter was one of them. This be- to us, this seems like, what's the big deal? But to the early church, it was huge. So as we look at this tonight, I don't want you to think about food sacrificed to idols. What I do want you to think about are those differences among believers about which Scripture does not specifically state. And understand that everybody doesn't have to dot their I and cross their T just like we do to be right with God. Why? Because we don't all cross our I's and T's together within the same church. So let's dive into it together. Chapter number 8, if you would, please. We'll talk about two things this evening. Number one... The concern. Let's begin reading in chapter 8, verse number 1. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. There was not a smarter man preaching than Paul. He goes on to say, Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Now, let's pause a moment. We understand in Scripture, especially chapter 13 talks about this a lot, the word charity in our vernacular means what? Love. So Paul says in verse number 1, you can know a bunch of stuff, but it's better to love somebody. Look at verse 2. 
And if any man think he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. I love that. Verse 3. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. So when we're looking, first of all, at the concern, we're going to get to the heart of it. Paul gives, first of all, his response by saying, simple knowledge of something when spoken without love is not the right way to handle this. Let me say it again. Simple knowledge that somehow we are better because we do X or don't do Y doesn't make us better. When that kind of mentality is applied without love, we get nothing. Most of you have probably said something that my mother said to me many, many times when I was a young preacher. I was too young and dumb to understand it. But she said to me many times, uh, you will attract a whole lot more flies with honey or sugar than you do vinegar. And you can stand up here and beat somebody to death and all you do is drive them out the back door. If you love people, it makes all the difference in the even love them when you don't like them. Yes, I'm talking about our own family. Amen. <laughs> That's the response. Now let's look at the reasoning. Look at verse number four, please. Notice what he says. Have we not, excuse me, verse number four, as concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. We can stop right there and say amen. We can stop right there and say, and what Paul is saying is dead on because the whole thing that's being addressed is food. Remember, idolatry worship is rampant in the Corinthian, in, in Corinth. Not in the Corinthian church, but in Corinth. Remember, the polytheistic Roman worship of many gods is the common religion. Jupiter, uh, Bacchus, uh, uh, Apollo, Minerva, all these Roman gods and goddesses that your kids came through high school and middle school studying is the common practice. The great architectural wonders of Rome were all done to these fake gods and goddesses. Whereas today, everywhere we go, there's a street, there's a church on every street corner in Corinth. Uh, there would be temples to these false gods and goddesses. And in most of them, people would worship them by bringing food and other sacrifices. So Paul says in verse number four, an important thing. He says, we know that those gods and goddesses aren't real. We get it. We understand that. He goes on to say in verse five, for though there be... For though there be that are called gods, notice he gives a little g, whether in heaven or in earth, parenthetically he says, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us that, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things. If you're right in your Bibles, underline that clause. Of whom are all things, and we in him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So Paul, I will remind you, Paul was an intellectual giant. In fact, 
I, I, I challenge you to read his writing sometimes and decipher through it, and you will find that his, his rationalization and his intellectual acumen, his ability to decipher this but then explain it to everybody is unsurpassed. So about this whole thing of, of sa- eating food that's been sacrificed, he says, hey, guys, listen. Let me tell you something. We know there's not but one God. We know that we as believers are in him and he is in us. And implicit in that is, is this statement. But everybody else doesn't get that. He's, he's making a very important statement. We know what the real thing is, but understand that there are plenty of new converts who've just come out of this and they don't get it yet. Keep reading because what he says next is so important. Notice if you would please. Verse number 7 again. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. It's a powerful statement. You contrast what Paul says in verses 5 and 6 versus the reality of verse 7. He says, those of us that are strong in the faith, we understand that that's nothing but a wooden object or a marble object. And food that is sacrificed to it is nothing but food. But there are plenty others, he says in verse number 7, for whom that is not quite so clear. So I will call this the Corinthian gray area. Let me remind you again, when it comes to blatant sin, Paul pulls no punches. Go back and read chapter 5 when he calls out somebody in the church for their sin. Calls them out specifically. But this is not that. This is a situation in which people who love the Lord, who are trying to live a life that's pleasing unto the Lord, have a very legitimate disagreement. Is it okay... Or is it not okay to eat food that's been sacrificed to an idol? So let's look at what he says. Because point number one, I'm calling that tonight the concern. Point number two is the consequence. Because what Paul says here, and we'll look at some verses uh, that he says similar things in Romans in just a moment, are so important for us today. Please go with me, if you would, please, to chapter 8, verse number 8. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Can I paraphrase his suggestion here? Paul says... To the church in this letter, I understand what your concern. I understand the strife. I understand the division that's happened. But Paul says, in reality, whether you eat it or don't eat it doesn't make you a better Christian. Please wrap your head around that a second. Paul said, this meat, this food doesn't commend you to God. In other words, you're not closer to God by eating it or not closer to God by not eating it. Have you ever met believers 
Don't raise your hands. Don't point fingers. Don't look at anybody. Look at me. Have you ever met believers who wore their faith like a badge of courage? Like, I don't do that. I don't go there. Therefore, I'm an inherently better Christian than you are. That's dangerous, church. That's very... Now, again, please don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about sinful things about which the Lord is very clear. I'm talking about an area here where there's not agreement. Paul says, one way or the other does not make you a better believer. Keep reading. Keep reading because it's important what he says next. He goes on to say in verse number 9... And if you write in your Bible, I'd encourage you to circle star. I've got this, I've got about 20 exclamation points behind it in mine. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them which are weak. That is one of the most powerful things Paul could have said. And I want to paraphrase it. In verse number 8, he says, whether you eat that food that's sacrificed to idols or whether you don't, really doesn't make you a better Christian. But be careful. Because people are watching. We don't like to hear that, church. But they are. People are watching. People are watching what we do in public. People are watching what we put on social media. People are listening to what we talk about. People are listening to how and watching how we conduct ourselves. I asked you a moment ago, do you know believers who wear their faith like a badge of courage? Do you also, again, look at me, do you also know believers who when you find out they're a Christian, you go, you got to be kidding me. Hear what I'm about to say. And hear what Paul is saying. Whether or not you eat that food is not going to matter to God. God is not going to say you're a better Christian because you ate the food or you're a worse Christian because you ate the food. That's not the issue. But there are plenty, and in this case, most of them were people who were raised in the Jewish faith, for whom eating food sacrificed to an idols was one of the worst things you could possibly do. Listen to what I'm saying. For those, and the vast majority of these new converts were Jews. For these Jews to, to see somebody eating food that had been sacrificed to an idol was completely counterproductive to everything they'd been taught before they became a Christian. And many of them looked at that and went, that's not right. That's not right. Now, Let's keep reading because what Paul says in relation to this is so important for us today. Notice, if you would, please, in verse number 10. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple. That's a powerful statement. Keep reading. We'll explain it. Shall not the conscience of him which is weak, be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols, and through thy knowledge shall the weak perish, but for whom Christ died. So Paul gives an analogy that helps this make sense. 
Paul says, and I'm paraphrasing, fundamentally, if you eat the food, it's not that big a deal in God's eyes. But what if a weak brother sees you walking into that temple of that false god and thinks to himself, should Christians be worshiping down there where they worship the false idols? That's candidly what Paul is saying. He said, what you've done now is just create a stumbling block to somebody who doesn't have as much knowledge as you do. So let me give it to you. Like You understand what the word stumbling block is. It is something that's in the pathway that you can't get over or around. It trips you up. Can I pause a moment? I think we should all be very careful about the stumbling blocks to which we present for other believers. It is easy for us to say, there's nothing wrong with that. What's the big deal? Paul says... If that's a stumbling block to somebody else, it is a big deal. Again, this is not, I don't recall growing up in church hearing preachers preach about this. <laughs> it is a big deal. Look at the rest of the chapter. And then I want us to flip to Romans real quickly. Notice what he says, verse 12. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience... You sin against Christ. Wherefore, that means because of that, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Can I pause a moment and say that's a mature believer? That's a mature Christian who says, to be honest with you, in my opinion, this is no big deal. But if it bothers you, I'll abstain. I'll not do that in front of you. I promise you, I won't do that in front of you. Would you, would you, well, we won't have time to put your book, but go turn, turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 14. So that you understand that this was not a topic that was limited to just the Corinthian church. Paul addressed it to the Romans as well. In fact, as you might understand, the worship of idols was incredibly strong in the capital city of Rome. So to set up a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church in the heart of the Roman Empire was a challenge bar none. And this same thing surfaced again. Again, please understand, Christians were persecuted. Many of them were hungry. It's amazing how something that is a sin is a sin when you're full, and it's not so much of a sin when you're hungry. Amen? <laughs> this issue raises itself again. Look at verse number 14. Romans chapter 14, verse 14. Important language, Paul says. I know, he writes, again, chapter 14, verse 14. I know and am persuaded... By the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. we got to pause here a minute. Paul is not saying that there is nothing that's a sin. You read Paul's writings, he makes it very clear that there are plenty of things that are a sin. But remember, Paul was raised a Jew. 
And in the Jewish mind, everything was either clean or unclean. Clean or unclean. I mean, all the things you couldn't do on the Sabbath was because it was clean or unclean. The, the, the 700 plus things that you had to remember, whether they were clean or unclean. And Paul says, now that Christ is dead, that's all gone. But, look at the next verse. Notice, if you would, please, verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, and by the way, meat doesn't just mean steak, it means food. If thy brother be grieved with thy meat, thy food, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy, I love this, this clause. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroyeth not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Can I paraphrase it? Paul says to most of you, eating that food is not a big deal, but to this group over here, it's a sin. They're looking at the fact that it's been sacrificed to idols. They've grown up in a tradition and a culture that's taught them that that's a sin. And now they're saying, how can Christians do that? Paul responds in verse 21. It's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So I don't want you to walk out of here tonight and say, and preacher Greg preached on food sacrificed to idols. It's <laughs> not what the topic was. That's what was used to talk about how we treat others for whom we don't all agree. Again, I'm not talking about fundamentals of the faith. We're not compromising on that. Please, 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 you get that. This was manifested in food sacrificed to idols. For, for others of us, it happens in all different other areas of life. If God's put a period, we're not putting a question mark. But in these gray areas, please understand, Paul is saying, and if I can summarize, treat each other with love. Don't look at somebody and say, or think, or act I'm better than you, because I don't do that. Likewise, understand, if somebody sees us doing whatever, and they think, I don't think Christians are supposed to do that. Our flesh wants to rile up and say, well, what's the matter with you? And Paul says, don't do that either. Look at them and understand that if we're the stumbling block, the enemy will use that to keep them from Christ. I had a 
fellow person that I love dearly that I work with, we were talking about this months ago, and he looked at me and he said, that's a heavy responsibility. You know what? It is. To pick up the cross of Christ and carry it boldly is a responsibility. And Christ is still looking for people willing to bear the cross. Father, thank you for the few minutes you've given us tonight to study this important passage. Lord, we celebrate the fact that we are not under the law. We are thankful that you eradicated the law 2,000 years ago when you said from the cross of Calvary, it is finished. Yet, God, we also recognize tonight that that liberty comes with responsibility. And it's important, Lord, that we not err on either side of this extreme. That we not think we are better than others. And at the same time, we understand that we should not be a stumbling block to those who are not as of we are. Lord, as we continue to examine this Corinthian letter, Lord, thank you for giving it to us as a model by which we conduct our Christian life. So many things contained in this letter speak to us just as truly today as they did when Paul wrote it to the church some 2,000 years ago. Continue to open it up for us, illuminate it for us, that we might be better equipped for the task ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen.